couples or people who are you know for a fact they're in close proximity with one another that they have conversations on facebook but like via like a comment section on a picture it's like why aren't you guys either talking to each other in person or having this conversation in some private forum and i had a conversation with my mother uh about lord you know the yes. singer lord <laughs> Of I had posted a picture of Lord and said I had ran into a bunch of girls on Division Street and they were all dressed up as her in the kind of gothed out black lipstick shit. And my mom said, oh, but you still stopped and you took a picture of these girls. And I was like, well, no, I didn't. It was, this is just a picture of Lord. And then my mom was like, oh, I never knew what she looked like. And it just kind of carried on. And it was just me and my mom having this just conversation of someone I could have literally called and just said, Instead of having it in a public forum, this is not an interesting story whatsoever. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's. Uh, are you guys ready to pretty much roll and just? Right. How are we sounding? I think overall pretty good. You know, I mean, it's always that kind of tinny thing in the headphones, but that doesn't come out in the final product, thankfully. But um, Allie, in addition to you had mentioned two albums I that did. you wanted to talk about, but you actually brought in something that could be considered almost a archaic artifact of your high school CD case. It's a gorgeous time capsule. Um, so before we even talk about either one of the albums that you had mentioned, um, what would you think that, I mean, I mean, it's a time capsule it of is. your, so what is like, would you consider like the best thing out of there of something you still would pull out and be like, oh, this is awesome. I'm proud of this. Well, that's why I said Tupac, because I can listen to any two. I think Tupac's one of the only artists I can listen to the entire album, like beginning to finish. And growing up in North Carolina, of, I mean, being a white girl in North Carolina, was that, were you, were there a lot of young women listening to Tupac? No. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, but when I was like, 12, 13, I started hanging out with my cousin, who was a crackhead. Okay. Um, and so, like, like, like I was just hanging out with, like, 21-year-olds and stuff, and they were all hoodlums. And know? they were all into just rap music or just yeah, specifically, of, like, gangster of, rap? A lot of rap, a lot of Bone Thug, a lot of Tupac, Biggie. So around, like, when... You were the most badass 12-year-old. <laughs> I mean... They did... used to call me Little Homie. Did that, like, affect you, like, growing up and how you would interact with other people? And, like, were you always kind of the harder-edged girl? Or were you still sweet, nice, you know, da-da-da, North Carolina girl? Or was it the polar opposite? I think I, like, played multiple parts because I also did beauty pageants. Okay. Um, so, you know, like, I could kick ass at an interview. But uh, then, you know, I would end up trying to fight somebody, like, the next day at school. Because, I mean, that really does come off as, like, when you're on stage with comedy, of there are, as a performer of when I've seen you, there is definitely two sharp contrasting sides to you that just run in parallel lines to each other, which was very fitting when you and I were exchanging Facebook messages of what, what album did you <laughs> want to talk about? 
and <laughs> you said Tupac or Deanna Carter's Did I Shave My Legs yeah. for This. And that, that to me perfectly <laughs> encompasses you on stage of you kind of have this sweet southern girl kind of demeanor to you on stage but then there's this sharp <laughs> evil edge to it on the other side that I think is evoking from the gangster rap. Yeah, I think that must be it. So where where does Deanna Carter fall into this for you? The did I shave my legs for this? Of oh god, I remember like listening to that and like the first Dixie Chicks album, and like certain songs just like putting them on repeat. Mm-hmm. I think it's number six on Deanna Carter's CD. <laughs> the one. That, if you get out in the driving rain, just being like sad about sad about boys, <laughs> and right? Just like listening to it over and over again and crying. Um, yeah, yeah. When Mark Burr kissed Julie Wiggins, and they're oh yeah. shit, <laughs> bringing back old <laughs> memories. Um, and, and had to hit up Deanna Carter. The two styles of music of just taking Tupac and Deanna Carter. Uh-huh. Of they're definitely emotionally fitting music. It's not necessarily just like, I'm just going to put this on and drive around and listen to it, of it's heartbreak country music. Yeah. Of you're a wreck about a a guy kissing another girl. Or you have your amp up gangster rap music of I'm going to go hang out with my crackhead cousin. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, like, where does, like, the role of, like, Deanna Carter play for you now? Like, is that more like... I still listen to it. Like, you listen to it and enjoy it. It's not even, like, a nostalgic listen. No, I really love it. Of, do you get shit for it? I mean, I mean, because it's such... Oh, I get shit for my music taste. I mean, pretty much in my car. Like, I'm not really into all the, like, newer rap stuff. Like, I'm... I like all the 90s stuff. Right. But, uh, yeah, like, it's always on the country station. So has has your musical taste of I find myself getting trapped in almost like like I I still like some new stuff but like my musical exposure kind of cuts off at like 2003. Yeah. Of like from there those are like my contemporary artists that's what I like and everything else like I'll kind of listen to like I mean like do you kind of find yourself always going back to those old listens of stuff you've always loved? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you have like any of this music that you use like, like before you go on stage, before you perform? Uh, uh, that oh, is oh I like to like if I'm home in North Carolina, my mom rode with me because uh, I was borrowing her minivan for the week, mm-hmm. and I had a show in North Carolina, and she was coming to see it, and I was like, all right, well you gotta know if you're in the car with me, I'm getting pumped. And she <laughs> was like, all right, so I'm just like listening to like gangster rap, like come on, ma, get pumped. We got the show. <laughs> You're crazy. What's wrong with you? Did you take your medicine? How how does it differentiate doing doing a stand up set here in the city of Chicago as opposed to tailoring a set to do on stage in North Carolina? Is it do you do you kind of make a set list different or is it pretty much your Allie Clayton no matter what what environment? Uh. Yeah, no, I'm I'm me no matter what environment. I mean, obviously my, you know, having an accent isn't, you know, here everybody's like, "Oh, where are you from, Australia?" Mm. Um, I've had people say that, and, it, I mean, North Carolina, you know, everybody else talks like that, so it doesn't matter. I mean, I th- I th- they're they're a bit more sensitive to when I make fun of their racism and things, right? Because they're like, "Oh, she's talking about me." <laughs> 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 yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, do you think it, does that go? Like, do you get more laughs in North Carolina for that or more in the city of Chicago? 
in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that harder of like when you like how long have you been like a part of the Chicago comedy scene? I missed five years. Five years in May. Like, was that a hard thing for you to almost kind of like implant yourself with? Yeah, I mean, almost like an introduction of being like, I'm Allie Clayton. Yes, I'm from North Carolina. Yes, I have this accent. Mm -hmm. No, it's not a character. Of Like, have you kind of gotten, like, do you feel like you've gotten beyond that point where you almost have to give people a primer of who you are? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the city, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of past that. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you're doing, like, Laugh Factory or somewhere and it's, you know, all, like, tourists, then probably explain it a little bit. But, like, as far as with the comedians, yeah. Yeah, Nobody. like they, they're much more yeah. apt to know what your kind of persona is. Yeah, I remember Danny Cal, like when I first started performing here, Danny Cal saying something to me about like somebody was talking about you the other night saying, you know, it's fake or something. Right. He was like, and I told him like, nah, for real, that's how that broad talks. <laughs> it almost <laughs> seems like a stupid thing to say, but with, with having um, like, I mean, I, I'm from originally from Missouri uh-huh. and I'll, I'll notice it. Uh, not so much in Chicago, but when I worked in New York, uh, they I worked for a radio station, and they wouldn't let me do any voiceover work for commercials because <laughs> I had certain words I would say, not with a southern draw, but with this Missouri kind of guilt to it of like yeah. a like a, instead of saying the word rock, I would say naturally I say rock, like it's spelled yeah. like R A W K is how I basically say it. Naturally. I guess. And they're like, we, we can't have that on a New York station. And so it was like the first time I felt like, fuck, where I'm, where I'm from is actually holding me back from what I want to do. I felt, I felt like that for a while. Like, I had no idea I had an accent at all until I went to college, which right. I went in North Carolina. But, you know, there was kids from all over there. And, my, and I studied theater. And my director, like, they're all trying to teach me, like, the phonetic and all this stuff. And they're like, you know, you got to lose this. If you want to do this, you got to lose this. I'm like, I can't. I don't, I'm trying. And I mean, let's, I mean, just talking about, just still kind of talking about Tupac and Deanna Carter of, in both those styles of music, you, language is obviously used as a huge tool, but in the way it's presented, you know, of any type of country music, tell, you know, it, 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 story, yeah. it's beneficial to almost kind of have that twang to it, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it fits with music. And Tupac has a certain directive to his voice it's aggressive it's hard-edged even on some of his sweeter songs songs that he sings about his mother there's still dear mama yeah (laughs) there's still just that kind of knife edge to it um have you found like a way to use your voice and the sound of voice almost as not a weapon but like a tool to present as you put it your art um yeah i mean i think i think that there's a lot of things that i can say that i can kind of get away with Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit easier because people were like, "Oh, that's so sweet." <laughs> <laughs> she was she's just talking about eating pussy more. <laughs> um, Do you find it like on stage? Is it more like I mean, I, I from interviewing comedians, like I, I not necessarily like there's two sides to the coin, but like some people strive for more honesty in their presentation, and some people strive more for more of a caricature of themselves. No, I would say ninety nine percent of anything you hear me say on stage is true, and it happened. It's just straight. It's, just, it's you. Just the truth. Yeah, I mean, I might switch a punch up or something, right? Um, or throw in a callback every now and then. Sure. But was it no. hard for you to get to that point of being able to be 
Oh, I mean, open with like you talked about being on stage at the Laugh Factory in front mm-hmm. of tourists who don't know you and you know whatever of letting them into intimate details of your life. Mm. I mean, no, not not for me, not really. Um, I mean, I, I guess you just figure that some people are gonna like you, some people aren't. Like, right. And I mean, I mean, it seems like I mean just that kind of very nonchalant attitude about it and you had mentioned growing up of being involved in beauty pageants Mm -hmm. was it of so how does that come about of young girl growing up in north carolina even though she's hanging out with her crackhead cousin still involved in beauty pageants where does stand-up comedy come into that filter well, like, I, I think I felt like that for a long time, like, because I did all the pageants and, and all that, and I had my, my long blonde hair and my big blue eyes, and I'm supposed to be Cinderella, but just, like, would constantly be cast as a dwarf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't get it. <laughs> so finally I was like, well, actually being a dwarf is ten times funner. Much, so, much more interesting than, like, Snow White. So you kind of played more to that as opposed to... I've just always been kind of naturally goofy. Right. Um... I'm clumsy. I'm, like, I'm so curious. What were, I don't know, the pageants, were there like talent portions? And what, yes. what did you do? I sang. Um, <laughs> Any Deanna Carter? I never sang Deanna Carter. I sang a lot of show tunes. Um, I sang Jolson's Medley. I sang, uh, sang Marilyn Monroe, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend, when I was about nine. Um, <laughs> it's perfect lessons yeah. for a developing girl. Yeah, I also, uh, my first pageant, I sang, um, well, actually, I lip sang. Because, okay, so my mom and her best friend, Woody, would do these huge shows in our living room when I was a kid. And Woody would dress up as different versions of, like, Sexy Madonna, Sexy Barbara oh Streisand. Oh, nice. And my mom was always Cher. Like, always Cher. And would she be mad if anyone else encroached on being Cher? Uh, it was an option. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Territorial Cher. My, my dad would come out in the middle of the living room and give this announcement, like, all the way in from Viva Las Vegas. Share. <laughs> <laughs> and out would come my mother uh, with this huge wig. Um, so my mom let me use one of, one of her wigs, and uh, I was Reba McIntyre. And I lip sang Fancy Don't Let Me Down. Oh, my God. Do you God. know that song? I do, I do. All about it. The whole song is about a mother convincing her daughter to become a prostitute. Right. Mm-hmm. I was eight. <laughs> Woody did my hair makeup. I literally looked like an eight-year-old drag queen. Like it was, it was. I did not win that year. Um, At that age, did you? Brilliant. Were you able to wrap your mind around what that song was about? No, I mean I loved it. I heard it on the radio, right? And I liked it a lot. But no, I didn't. I had no idea. What about? I mean, even like, like you, I thought it was like, don't disappoint your mom. Like you said, <laughs> like you were you were hanging out with your crackhead cousin at twelve. Yeah. Like. And listening to that music, like Tupac and Bone Thugs and stuff like that, like, were you digesting exactly what that music meant? Or did it mean something different to you? Like, was it just interesting in the sense that it was something different? I mean, I'm sure I started listening to it because I was hanging out with everybody older. Right. It was cool. You know, right. that's what they were listening to. I wanted to know every word, too. I wanted to be cool. Um, and I am. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, but no, but like as I've gotten older, like, like started watching like Tupac documentaries and mm-hmm. and all this stuff and learning like Thug Life was like, it wasn't like trying to actually like be be a thug. It was more so like against the system and trying to like more of a movement right. that he was trying to create. 
uh, which is cool. Yeah. Although he wouldn't have liked me because he really didn't like white people very much. No, no, unfortunately. Um, okay, he really hated them, but <laughs> <laughs> that upsets me too much. So. What about, I mean, just talking mm. about, like, Tupac in general, like, I, the way, like, I first got on, like, turned on to any gangster rap of, not even gangster rap, but, I mean, just rap scene of Tupac, Notorious B.I.G., Wu-Tang Clan was all through my older brother. Mm-hmm. And there was... Well, Travis was kind of like my older brother. Like, he was supposed to sure. be getting clean, and my parents let him come and live at our house. Right. And there was, I mean, there was some stuff that I definitely liked, and I... I liked the sound of the music. I definitely didn't get the hard edge of what they were talking about. Yeah. But then there was stuff that made me physically uneasy, I remember, of being like, oh, my God. You know, of, like, nervous, you know, of being this little white kid from Hannibal, Missouri, of being like, oh. And I think it was, like, when I would catch on to exactly what the lyrics would entail. Yeah. Um. Like, did you ever, like, have, like, any, like, anxiety of the the situation of being like, Knowing the cousin, your cousin, and the situation he's in, you well, I don't think I realized at that time that he was. I mean, I know he, dr- I knew he drank a lot, but he let me drink, so I was like, awesome. Right. You no, know, he smoked a lot of pot, but he let me smoke pot. Awesome. Smoked the coolest cigarette. cousin ever. <laughs> you were so cool. Yeah. He doesn't need to change one bit. <laughs> so I mean, how was that like growing up? And it seems like a very unique house you know um (laughs) with a lot of potential for i mean interesting influences of a lot of uh, older people involved in your life whether it be your cousin or it seems like i mean your parents of being invested and interested you know not a lot of kids have that of how has that like affected you now as a performer do you still draw like some things from that from my parents? Sure. Or from my childhood experience? Yeah, just from your childhood experience. Oh, definitely from my childhood. I mean, I write a lot about that. Um, I don't know if I talk about it as much now, but I've written a, a ton about my my childhood experiences. I wrote a whole woman show called I'm Different, Not Dumb. Uh, oh, nice. We're talking about growing because I grew up with learning disabilities. So I, well, I still have them, but dyslexia and ADHD and dyscalculia, which is the same thing, but with numbers. Um, and... Yeah, and just, like, what a struggle that was for me. And I think probably, like, I mean, at 12, I mean, I just didn't have any confidence. I just felt very stupid. So, um, like, finding a way to make somebody laugh Mm -hmm. or, you know, finding something else to talk about to make you feel more popular, whether it be music or something else, then it kind of was able to maybe hope people wouldn't notice that other part of me. So do you think even being, you know, a performer of sorts at a young age of being participating in the pageants, did that kind of help you along of you're an extremely sociable, affable person Yeah. that a lot of people who I think would come from a hard childhood of that nature of dealing with a learning disability. Mm-hmm. Do you think that helped at all of having that no, kind of, I think, it, it, no, I think, I think it helps so much. Like, like, I mean, I, I have a joke about, about like mom put me in pageants when I was eight cause I was gorgeous right. and I couldn't read, um, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, no, it, it helped. It helped take me out of my shell. And it made me feel like I found something that I was, that I didn't suck at. I felt like I sucked at everything else. Like, I tried sports. It ain't for me. Right. Um, and, it, like, finally finding something where I was like, oh, I get a trophy? I never get a trophy. <laughs> you know? Which, really, yeah. I mean, I, I work part-time at a school now and uh, work with special ed something like, 
just the fact that arts have been cut in the school so much like just breaks my heart because I feel like those kids they need that like artistic outlet because typically kids with learning disabilities do excel more in you know creative areas and need that for confidence solely for confidence almost and I mean like even as a performer now of like we kind of joked a little bit earlier about Allie Clayton on stage of you you have that kind of harder edge to you and there isn't there no, is, I don't know if anyone's ever called me hard edged. There I mean there isn't a filter there of oh, no, like no. you're you're willing to talk about sexual exploits, your feeling on racism, things like that that mm-hmm. I think some people would shy from. But there I mean it, it's unavoidable that there's truly a compassionate side to you of what you do as your day job of working yeah. with learning disability kids and how passionate of even hearing you talk about it of saying you know, the funding in schools being cut, of how do you incorporate, like, that, is, is that compassion important in, like, your writing and talking about writing this one-woman show, of having that kind of underlining heart to it, I guess, and not just trying to be, I mean, I hope, I I'm going to shock you. I hope that, no, because I, 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 mean, I, I mean, I do find awkwardness to be hilarious. Like, my entire family, like, it's just pranks. I mean, my face gets farted on so much when oh I'm in North God. Carolina <laughs> by my brothers and now my nephew, who's like, I did the trumpet on you. It's called the butt trumpet. Um, <laughs> I'm He's so, maybe I need to take another Adderall. I'm so ADD. Um, oh, God, what was the question again? I was just saying of having, you're, you have a lot of compassion in you. Yeah, a lot of yeah. A lot of heart towards what you went through in your own life. And then now, I mean, working with kids with, Learning to spell. I mean, like my that. main job, I mean, I work part time at the school, and then my other job, which I've been doing for four and a half years, is I take care of a 20, he just turned 27. No, yeah, he just turned 27. That is so crazy. 27 year old uh, adult with severe autism. Right. Um, Bradley. And yeah, I mean, like it's, like, it's one of those things where it's like you feel like, you know, like your little brother or something, where it's like, I can make fun of this, but don't you dare say a thing. And exactly. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of what I was getting at is how important is having that compassion and heart when you're trying to write jokes? Because you're obviously – you're not writing things for the sake of being shocking or being no. like, hey, I'm going to get you. Of, I mean, how important is that like when you sit down and you're in, you're in the creative process, mm-hmm. not the performing process, of coming from – I mean, legitimately coming from a good place. Is that, I mean, is, do you think that that's oh, important yeah. no, as, would, as would, a writer? I would think that I don't, I don't, well, yeah, I don't, I don't ever have mean intentions. I just never, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of, like, I'm one of those people that likes to write a joke and then rewrite it and then rewrite it and then rewrite it. So there is, like, I mean, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, you know, like, maybe, like, there's things that happen with, like, Bradley has very severe behavior, so... You know, it means he can be aggressive and scratch me and hit me and stuff like that. And, I mean, there's been times I've left his house crying because I'm just like, my best friend just hit me. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think also, in a, like, that being able to laugh at it help, helps me, like, in, in yeah. some ways to, I guess, to heal. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, I'll write, I'll write out a... You know, uh, before I actually make something into a joke, maybe write out the entire story as it goes and then go through and kind of pick, you know, what about this is is comical and how can I make a through line so that it's still telling the story but in a more comical way. And so, I mean, like, is it, like, when it comes to just, like, a bit or a joke, is it, 
like is there a finish line for you there where you're like okay this one's done or is it kind of this ever evolving thing where it can change and morph into something else oh yeah no i think i think that they I mean i have an entire just like crate of just notebooks just filled with jokes and stories and things and I'll sit down every now and then and like go through ones that I wrote in two, three years ago and be like, and I didn't make it into anything at the time, but I think it's just because I didn't have the skill to do it yet. Mm -hmm. And then like look back and go, oh, I could totally do this with this now. Um, Is there like times, and I'm saying like either like physical times a day, physical places, or just emotional states where you feel like, okay, I, I, I can't write something funny right now i i need more separation from it or is it always like you can pretty much sit down even if it's fresh and just be like okay i i i need to i need to create something i need to filter something yeah um hmm because i mean like for some people i think it's much more like there's that need to constantly create you know it's Mm -hmm. like no matter what I've set a, I've sat down with this amount of time. This is my time. I need to create. So it's no matter. I get, I get a lot of inspiration from watching other comedians and like Chastity Washington's one of my favorites. And I could like I have opened for her and like literally you know we'll be doing four or five shows together and I'll sit back there and watch every single one of her shows and take notes and be like how did she transition that? <laughs> how did she do it? I remember like I mean me and Chastity are, are friends now and I've known her for five years, but. Uh, like after like one of my first times for like performing with her just being like I know you're busy and like uh, if you want to like, get a snack or <laughs> coffee drink you don't drink okay uh, coffee and her's been like uh, you know I was like I'd love to talk to you about joke stuff she's like let's just hang out I'm like you want to hang out with me um, and still uh, just blown away by other by other people's talent and definitely finding an inspiration from that and inspiration from other things that they talk about too and, like, I'll listen to somebody say something, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that triggers something to me that I just never would have actually thought about. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, when I'm at an open mic, you, I'm pretty much got my head in a notebook the whole time. Just, and, I mean, that's mm-hmm. interesting because some people, even though they're comedians, they're not necessarily fans of comedy in the sense because they don't want to be exposed to, you know, someone else's material thinking it almost corrupts that they're, their own creative craft. So where you can draw something original from that and mm-hmm. motivation is interesting. Um, I mean, let's just like go through my notebook and just all the like random little notes that I write to myself. Like I'll be like in the middle of writing a joke and then somebody else say something. I'll be like, oh yeah, fuck rabbits. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like and I'll just go back and I'll say, what is fuck rabbits? What was yeah. that? Um, and I mean, you were, I mean, I, I keep going back to your past as a, we're, uh, the, the pageants. Yes. Um, of, we had Bill Cruz on the show, and he has also, a pageant kid. Oh yes, and the way that he would talk about how he incorporated his past as working more in theater, of how that now translates to his life in comedy, of how he'll block himself on stage with lighting. Um, do you find yourself like doing that when you're on stage, of being a performer, of being like not only do you have to be verbally funny and verbally interesting? Oh, yeah. Of Do you use, like, your, your body and your movements as a tool? D- oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm 
like a very full of energy, like kind of big person um, in life and on stage. Uh, every day is a performance. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I definitely do. And I, and I do character stuff, um, too. Like in, in my one woman, I don't actually do any stand-up. It's all stories, um, which are voiceover and video, and then I come out as a different character for each chapter. Right. Um, and all those characters I've kind of drawn from different places in my life. Like I, my character, uh, R- Renee Gilbo, she's a professional movement artist. And uh, that's definitely from, like, every, like, movement voice teacher <laughs> had to tell me, salt the ground with your tush, you know, like, <laughs> do these, like, where, uh, <laughs> biggity-tickity-biggity-tickity-biggity-tickity-bop, you know, like, just stuff where, like, you're, like, in this room with all these other people taking it so seriously, and you're like, this is my future. Right. And it's like, many mumbling mice. Making my music and like it's just like and but later I was like oh we're all idiots nobody cares how my body relates to the wall like, right what um so I mean have you you you've performed the one woman show live yeah yeah of when you've completed the writing process of that what's the feeling of completing something like that is it like it I was... would imagine it's like writing a book like you've you've completed yeah a body of work. It was it was a journey because like the first time I, I I did it I had a director Cynthia Levine um, directed me and worked a lot on the writing with me and stuff and we kind of did all my story sections as like video interviews right because I have to have time to switch in in and out of characters in between each one so I have to have a, and um, I don't I think. I was I was still it was still all kind of coming out of me and very raw and um, but I also I wanted it to be very honest um, and like my oldest brother watched the first the first one I did and was just like I mean the parts of that were funny but I, mean, I about cried that's fucking sad <laughs> you know and I'm like well shit that's not what I was going for at all <laughs> you know like, I'm trying to make him cry. Um, and then uh, my friend Mary Rose O'Connor directed it the second time, and we decided I went home and I got all these pictures, you know, as my mother is Cher, as me as Minnie Raven McIntyre, you know, all these pageant photos and stuff, and put those in it, and it's, it, it made it a very different thing. Um, Did the bar seem higher for you, putting something like that together, as opposed to, like, a set of stand-up, like... I mean, I, I don't know what your worry is or what your gauge necessarily is of success or failure. Mm-hmm. But was there that worry putting this together of if this doesn't work or this doesn't come out the way I want? Of is, is there that nerve there? Yeah, I would say um, a lot, a lot more nerves around the one, the one woman show than than stand up. Because you know, I mean, I, I constantly do stand up, right? Um, and so you know, I mean, I can go up at. I mean, I'm not at this point in time doing it, but I remember when I first started, I would do three open mics on Monday, one on Tuesday, I did like two on Wednesday, like, so if one if one joke didn't work at one place, and I'd be like, well, all right, I'll just drive over here, try it, you know, flip mm-hmm. a few things around, try it a different way, um, but you know, with when you're doing a 45 minute one woman show, it's not like you can just try again, right? <laughs> right. Um, you gotta 
And it is you. I mean, it almost seems more so when you're doing the one woman show that it is, even though you're playing characters and things mm-hmm. like that, it is you on a pedestal. It is your life. Mm-hmm. Of it's a whole new kind of unveiling of, you know, because it isn't. It doesn't always have to be funny. Mm-hmm. Of when you're writing something like that, is it easy to I know? I think people are going to find you funnier when they realize that you're a real person. Like <laughs> when there's that emotional content yeah. to it. Of we're going to relate to you more. And are there times like when you're in that writing process of almost knowing as you're writing of being like, okay, I don't necessarily have to have a joke here. Of I I can be more directed mm-hmm. and more serious. And does that flow naturally, I guess? Yeah. Uh I think it's I think it's a little harder in stand up to do that. Um because the audience is just like, you know, they're just sitting there like, be funny, be funny, tell me a joke. Right. <laughs> That's what they're saying in their minds, by the way. Um, or they're like, who's calling me? Um, <laughs> um, okay. Well, um, we are at the point where we kind of wrap things up and bring things kind of home. Of Allie, is there anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me get my, bu- my business go. card out. Uh, I have a web series called What Am I Looking At? I take Chicago comedians around to art gallery openings and we give our uneducated opinion on art. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> it's at channel uh, Wayla, W-A-I-L-A dot Tumblr dot com. Awesome. And anything related to this podcast, you can check us out on our Twitter page, which is twitter.com slash for the record pod. Allie, thank you very much Thanks for entertaining me, guys. For the Record Podcast is recorded at the Comedy Bars Podcast Studio in the Irving Park neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. For more information on the show, go to twitter.com slash for the record pod.